Hi, welcome to Grace Intersect. The goal of this podcast is to help us have an increasingly clear understanding of grace. My name is Jerry Moldenhauer. Thank you for joining us today. Do you remember as you were growing up having questions about what the word faith meant? Did words like belief, trust, hope, expectation, spiritual, religion, or religious come to mind? Have you settled on a working definition yet? I suppose to some extent the context makes it easier to know what we think. While I was growing up in church, faith was often talked about but seemed to be used in a confusing variety of ways. It seemed like it meant mostly the same as belief. Other times, it seemed like it might have meant trust or hope. In some contexts, it almost seemed like it was a word of command. Just have faith. As if you had faith, then something you wanted done would have to happen. Sometimes the word faith seemed like an excuse for doing something questionable which took courage, like have faith in the outcome even if the idea didn't make sense. Church leaders and teachers would often use a Bible verse to give a definition. Here it is from Hebrews 1, verse 1. See if this clears it up for you. Coming from the King James Version, which is what I grew up with. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Do you understand that? That wasn't helpful to me. Couldn't figure out what that meant. I don't remember the adults explaining it well enough for me to grasp even into my upper teen years. Of course... This may say more about me than about them. Obviously, faith is an important word and concept. In the context of religion, that understanding could make a positive or negative impact on us. As newer Bible translations of that verse became available, one called the New Century Version puts it in a more understandable way for me. Faith means being sure of things we hope for and knowing that something is real even if we do not see it. There are two parts to this definition. First, being sure of things we hope for. Can you come up with a couple of examples of that definition? Here's one to think about. If you usually get paid on the 15th and 30th of each month, you could say that you have faith that you will get paid twice a month, and you sure are hoping you do. Is this really faith? After all, the track record is pretty good. You've never not been paid on schedule. Well, yes, but until you are paid, you have to have faith because you haven't been paid yet. And stuff does happen. Most people, I suspect, have been in jobs where they have had delayed or even totally missed payments. The promise of payment has not yet been kept. And then there are situations like being a real estate agent. One of the first things I was told after getting my license was, don't count on the income until the final paperwork was approved and you saw your check at closing. That proved to be wise advice. Hope in a coming payment happened every time a client showed serious interest in a house. There was growing belief that I would get paid the closer to closing we came. But I have experienced the disappointment of unfulfilled hope and belief. My faith was misplaced in the process and or the people. The second part of the biblical definition of faith is knowing that something is real even if we do not see it. What examples come to mind for this part? Well, how about this? You know that the wind is real, even if you do not see it. When flying a kite, you are constantly figuring out wind current to get the kite airborne and then how to keep it airborne. Of course, you see the effects of wind, clouds, dust, the aftermath of tornadoes and hurricanes. Any kind of airborne experience from planes to base jumping requires knowing the reality of what is not seen. But what does this definition look like in a real spiritual world? The spiritual dimension is so much more difficult for us to think and feel about and understand. 
There is so much of it that is unknown and uncertain that it makes faith in that context both necessary and hard. In the Bible, in the book of Genesis, is a story of a man, his wife, and their interaction with God. It is a story about the reality of faith being lived out in a practical way. I think their experience reveals how faith functions best in the context of a spiritual loving relationship. Let's take a look at Abraham and Sarah. About 2000 BC, Abraham grew up in the home of an idol maker in what is now modern Iraq. God appeared to him when he was 75 years old and invited him to leave his home and travel to a new place God would show him. It seems that the big revelation to Abraham at this time was that instead of multiple gods, there was really only one God. Beyond that, this God was wanting an actual relationship with him. Idols were not needed. Abraham demonstrated some form of faith when he agreed to accept the invitation. He knew only the direction to go, but not sure where he would end up. God promised to Abraham that he and his descendants would grow into a great nation, and he would be a blessing to many. What kind of faith would convince him to accept this invitation? Apparently, he was sure of what he hoped for and accepted as reality what was yet unseen. He believed and trusted this God. Abraham's wife and servants went with him, as did his nephew Lot. They finally arrived in what was called Canaan and is now known as modern Israel. This land was promised to him and his descendants by God, but he lived there as a foreigner. It's hard. Our present context is out of place to do this, but sometimes I try to put myself in the place of historical characters. How would I feel if I were them in this situation? This is really a tough one for me to do. How convinced was Abraham really? How much second-guessing was going on? What kind of conversations did he have with Sarah and others about this? This was a huge commitment into the unknown, geography, people, and God. Some might say this was foolish. Others might say you have to act on new truth. We will skip some of the very interesting adventures Abraham experienced so we can get to the pertinent stuff for this episode. Abraham was now 100 years old and his wife Sarah was 90. They had no children of their own and Abraham was wondering how the promise of him becoming a large nation would be fulfilled. In a vision conversation with God, Abraham brought up that subject. This is probably more than just having an inquiring mind. He was looking for more substance for his faith. He wanted some flesh and bone on the promise he had been given. God showed him the night sky and said his offspring would be as numerous as the stars. Again, Abraham believed God. It is said that this faith, that believing God, was the same as righteousness. In the biblical context, righteousness means having a right relationship with God, which includes believing him. God also told Abraham he would take possession of the land in which he was living. Abraham asked for assurance of that promise, so God proposed a covenant. A covenant arrangement in those days was a serious event. It was an action in which both parties made their promises to each other. This covenant was to be a blood covenant, but God would have an interesting twist to this covenant. God instructed Abraham to kill five different animals. Three of the largest animals were actually split in half separated apart, and placed end-to-end, providing a path between them. The covenant participants would then walk the bloody path between the animals. The symbolism indicated that if either of them would break the covenant, death would be the consequence. This type of covenant had some serious costs in terms of animals, time, and consequence, so it was taken very seriously. 
Interestingly, God's part of the covenant would be his promises to Abraham, but Abraham didn't make any promise at all. After Abraham killed the animals and set up the blood path, he waited for God's next move, but God wasn't in a hurry, apparently. Evening came, then finally night fell, and Abraham finally succumbed to a very deep sleep. While he was sleeping, God walked the blood path without Abraham. He reiterated his promise to give the land to Abraham. An obvious question. How could the covenant be completed with only one party participating? Well, it is because, in actuality, God was making the covenant with himself. Abraham had nothing to offer God that God could fully depend on. All Abraham could do was accept God's promises. If Abraham had participated in this covenant, he nor his descendants would be able to uphold their part of it. God is perfect, but neither Abraham nor his descendants were. So their consequences would have been death. This deserves some thought. What does this tell us about God? How much does he want this relationship to work and to last? Whose promise can be depended upon and why? What does this tell us about his love? Isn't this grace? Amazing. Pausing here for some contemplation might be worthwhile. The story of Abraham is so very fascinating. It would be good to read and think about all of it. I encourage you to do that. You can, starting in Genesis 12. We won't go into all of that because our focus is on the faith experience of Abraham. Abraham had what seems to me, but maybe not to God, a tenuous faith experience. He believed God and acted on that belief, which may be the ultimate expression of faith, and yet Abraham questioned him often while trying to make sense of God's promises. For example, he wondered how he could possibly become the father of a great nation when he had no children, and both he and Sarah were well beyond childbearing years. Good question. I would be asking it too. This seemed to be on his mind quite often. A bit of backstory. When they had been in Canaan for ten years, they still had no children. Talk about waiting. And they were just getting older. Things were not looking good for having a child. At that point, Sarah suggested to her husband that maybe God had in mind that he have a child from her maid, Hagar. They went with that plan. At the age of 86, Abraham became the father of a child they called Ishmael. Then they discovered their plan wasn't God's plan. You have to wonder how Abraham held on to his faith during this time. Thirteen years later, thirteen years, God visited Abraham again and reconfirmed his promise that Abraham would be the father of many nations and that Sarah would be the mother of many nations. At that, Abraham fell on his knees and laughed. He was thinking to himself that obviously there is no way he, now 99, and Sarah, now 89, would ever conceive. So he suggested to God that Ishmael could be the child through whom the promises would be fulfilled. God corrected Abraham and told him Sarah would indeed become a mother. God also promised to take care of Ishmael. Sometime later, God returned to visit Abraham. Sarah cooked a meal for them, and God told Abraham that by this time next year, Sarah would have a son. Sarah, in the tent nearby, heard this and laughed. She knew that she was well past childbearing years. God asked Abraham why Sarah laughed. And then he said to Abraham, Is anything too hard for God? Sarah apparently came to the group and denied laughing. No, you laughed, said God. That exchange is almost humorous. Do you think Sarah now had even a sliver of hope? What an emotionally tumultuous time this had to have been. 
They have been listening to God and believing Him in various degrees, but this has been a very long and hard time for them. In the process of this faith experience, they were learning more and more about God. Of course, a year later, she had a son, and they named him Isaac. How much of this story can you find similarities with your own faith journey? Perhaps you have seen ways that you believe God has impacted your life. If so, based on that, it seems like trusting His care for you shouldn't be all that hard. However, all it takes is another difficulty or crisis, and we can doubt God's involvement in our affairs all over again. At times, there may be things that seem totally impossible to deal with. Infertility, broken relationships, bankruptcy, terminal illness, and so on. How do we have faith then? When pain drags on for days, weeks, months, years, how do we have faith? Can we really trust God for a miracle? Do we really believe He works all things out for our good? If so, when? What about the person who is considering becoming a Christian? When do they believe enough in Jesus to be joined with Him? How much faith does it take to become a follower of Jesus? Are any and all doubts and questions acceptable? In the New Testament, in Hebrews 11, the writer refers to the story of Abraham and his faith. Remember, here was a man who seemed to waffle, doubt, and to take things into his own hands when he didn't see God working in the way or in the time he expected or wanted. From our perspectives, we could reasonably look at Abraham as a pretty poor example of faith. Even though God came through for him time after time, Abraham still acted out of his own ideas and plans that were contrary to God's. Frankly, I can relate to that. But somehow, someway, God and Abraham continued to have an intimate relationship. Well, in Hebrews 11, the writer focuses on the times Abraham acted on his faith, trusting God to keep his promises. Like the time he left Ur for Canaan, believing God was leading him. Like how he continued to live there for so many years without any family being started. Like how he did have a son by Sarah. The writer doesn't even mention all the times Abraham messed up. No judgment or condemnation. This is in keeping with the covenant God made with Abraham. Remember, it was all on God to perform on his promises. All Abraham had to do was have faith in God. And as previously mentioned, this faith was as righteousness for God. What does this tell us about how much faith is needed to have a relationship with God? About how much questions and doubts derail a relationship with God? What does this tell us about how much God wants to be connected with you and me? How does this make you feel about God? I think it's astounding how much God wants to be in a relationship with us. How just the slightest amount of belief in Him is all it takes for Him to welcome us into His family. The questions and doubts or even the things we take into our own hands, even when we know that they may not be the best approach for something, don't seem to derail Him a bit. Just give him the slightest indication that we believe in him, and he is all in with us. In the book of Matthew, Jesus refers to how powerful just a very little faith can be. He used the example of faith the size of a mustard seed. That's small, like one to two millimeters. God seems very anxious to be in a relationship with us, and the size of our faith or the frequency and kind of doubts don't seem to faze him. That's a pretty awesome God, one that gives and keeps promises. We can have faith in someone whose love is that outrageous and powerful. God's grace is amazing. 
Thank you for listening today. My name is Jerry Moldenhauer, and this is the Grace Intersect Podcast. As we process together, please know that your thoughts and or questions are welcome. Comments may be made at the graceintersect.com website or by emailing comments at graceintersect.com. Have a great day.